Thank you, Richard, for the invitation. It's, very, it's, it's a pleasure to be here and to talk a little bit about our research on graduate jobs and graduate wages across Europe in the 21st century. So this is work, this is going to be based on um, joint work that I've done with Professor Francis Green um, at the Center for Global Higher Education um, at UCL. So what's the issue? And I mean, I, I probably don't really need to motivate it in this round, but thinking about higher education and the vast resources that go, in, go into it. Um, so of course, we're also in, interested in graduate outcomes. Stakeholders, students are stakeholders. They spend a lot of resources on it. The state spends a lot of resources on it in the hope to, um, yeah, to for for individual out to improve individual outcomes, but also um, society. But there are uncertainties, um, not only in the UK in general. There are uncertainties um, exacerbated by deficits, deficits in our understanding of the past and um, the present in terms of what are demand drivers, what's currently happening to graduates, how are graduate jobs, what are drivers of graduate job demands and um, graduate skill demand, and how does the UK compare with other European countries or in general with other countries to sort of contextualize what is actually going on here. And this is a little bit from a, a taste of what I will try to do in the next 30 or so minutes. So firstly, um, a quiz question. So in the last decade, by how much has tertiary education risen among 30 to 34 year olds across the EU? What's your this? What's your feeling? What is the what's the what's the range of what? What's your feeling on that? Yeah. Okay. Um, I sort of made it easier for you. Twenty two. Twenty two. Okay. It's not that fast. It's eleven percent. But twenty two. But twenty two is actually this is this is um, the change in Poland. So it's not unreasonable. Twenty two has been obs in, in ten years is something that has happened. Um, the percent, the four percentage points here. That's actually the um, change in graduate jobs. So we already see here sort of. In, in the in imbalance emerging, and um, that will be a theme throughout. So, so we have on one hand this rise in graduate in the supply of graduates. More, more and more um, youth is going to university in Europe, but most, but especially in middle-income countries, driven by rising middle class and higher educational aspirations but that's one that's one side what's happened to the demand side um, and I've, this is not a non-exhaustive list of factors that may be driving skilled labor demand <coughs> um, I've put them in neat bins here technological change and organizational change institutional change and then um, I would call that business cycle effect such as the Great Recession and its aftermath um, and of course, they, they, they intersect. They're not as neatly separate as I've put them here. Let's think about, for example, technology, technological change and dig digitalization um, also influences how well and what tasks can be offshored, what tasks um, can be, what service tasks especially can be offshored. Um, and that intersects with institutions. Um, think about occupational licensing, licensing, for example, a lawyer um, who is working in a licensed occupation will be affected very differently from a consultant, um, from 
the threats or risks of um, globalization. And so we have all these forces pushing and pulling into different directions on skilled demand. It's not quite clear in which direction these work. So <coughs> this idea of having these forces pushing and pulling, having supply on one hand, having demand on the other hand, gives rise to this metaphor of a race to think about graduate lab what's happening to graduate um, labor markets. We've got a supply seat and a demand seat, and usually, and so, and up to now, a lot of a lot of there is a very optimistic notion that the demand demand seat will outpace, outrace the supply seat, and that's why we have seen that's why we have seen um, the stable, relatively stable um, pay premium for graduates, for example, in the UK and elsewhere. Um, despite the massification of higher education. But more recently, sort of a pass more pessimistic notion has arisen. Some commentators have pointed out that, for example, in the United States, um, actually this demand in cognitive intensive occupation hasn't risen as fast. It's working more and more in occupations that, are, that were previously deemed non-graduate jobs. Um, and so we have so this an optimistic and a pass more pessimistic um, take on what's going on on the graduate um, labor market. And my my talk today is going to one hand look at the graduate labor supply, so look at some what's happening to the supply across Europe, um, what's happening to graduate jobs, and what to graduate underemployment. And graduate underemployment, I mean graduates that do not work in graduate jobs. Basically, show you a picture of great heterogeneity, and that's one of the surprising things that you may already say. Is it despite <coughs> this sort of global drivers, the same similar factors that impact on um, graduate labor markets across Europe, the outcomes look very different. So, what happened to the graduate labor supply? And that's something I, I mean, the little Chris question initially already pointed towards that. Graduate educated, tertiary educated graduates have become more prevalent everywhere, but at a widely varying pace. And they will grow, they will go on growing for everywhere for some time to come. Um, so we have not found a country where there seems to be an end, a saturation in, in sight. This, this graph here may look a little messy. Um, at first, and basically displays the rise of tertiary education and attainment in this age group 32, 33 year olds in the last decade. Um, and the countries are sorted by the rise. So we have Poland, um, Latvia, Lithuania here on the right, and Spain, Belgium, Finland, Denmark on the left. The tertiary the percentage of those tertiary, of edu tertiary educated <coughs> graduates in this age group hasn't risen that much. That's here, that's huge, it's a huge change on this side. The UK, sort of towards the tr in the top in the top third in this comparison. Let's see what top half. Um, there's still, a, a huge change around. I think it's actually around this 10, 11 percentage point as the average. And this rising participation in tertiary education will substantially change um, how labor forces will look. 
and again, this differs across countries how much how substantive this change is. And some countries, in some countries, oh, perhaps let me explain the indicator first. So basically, in order to get to to gauge the um, this potential for change, if this we display the gap in tertiary attainment between. Um, young between the young group, 30 to 34 year old, and older group, 50 to 59 year old. The idea is that this young, more educated, will then subsequently um, replace the older cohorts that are going to retire. And the larger the difference, the more this change, this 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 massification of higher education will change the face of the labor force. Um, and as well. Few countries, Estonia, Finland, and also Germany, um, where there's actually not so much happening, hasn't so, hasn't so much happened so far. On the other hand, you have countries, Ireland, Lithuania, Cyprus, and Poland, where there's a huge shift in the structure of the labor force going to happen. And, the diff and there are differences. Look, we have Finland and Germany next to each other, but they're starting from a very different, different position. Germany, tertiary education attainment isn't. Isn't high, and it hasn't been, hasn't just hasn't changed much. Massification really hasn't happened yet, or hasn't really reached yet the 30 to 34 year olds. Whereas in Finland, completely the opposite. Um, massification happened there like a, a decade ago or two ago, two decades ago, and that has already worked its way through the labor force. And then we have the UK, sort of again in the middle of the pack. <coughs> Next, so we have now sort of an understanding of what happened to labor supply across Europe. So how has the percentage of graduate jobs changed? And here I have to say a little bit more about this graduate job um, concept that we deploy. And most of our work in the last two, two, three years focused on how can we actually identify graduate jobs? What are graduate jobs and how can we measure them? And so we think of a graduate job in our, for our work as a job that utilizes skills graduates typically acquire during the higher education, the wider context and the direct aftermath. And having a graduate job has substantial benefits for graduates. We, we believe that a graduate job should deliver better pay, greater job satisfaction, greater skill utilization, and also better <coughs> career prospects. And with this sort of, re and using information on um, work tasks and workers' reports on what level of qualification they need to do their job, we constructed for multiple countries now um, metrics of graduate jobs where we can identify what job is requiring or it makes use of graduate um, qualifications sufficiently well. And using this, we see that the prevalence of graduate jobs varies a lot. Graduate jobs have grown more prevalent almost everywhere, though at a varying pace. The quality of graduates relative to non-graduates explains some of the cross-country variation that we see in graduate jobs. So the higher education system does sort of leave a, or the, the, the education system does leave its mark on the structure of the la of the um, of labor demand. And lastly, some occupations can switch between graduate and non-graduate. This is not static. Not not as 
higher education is massified, we see also changes in the labor market of what is a graduate job, going alongside that, partly driven by technological change and upskilling. This is the wrong remote. Um, this is from an earlier, from, from a little earlier work um, published in 2017 where we used OECD data, the survey of adult skills to look across OECD countries, um, also outside of Europe, so how, how much of labor is employed in graduate jobs and then, and you see there are large differences here um, from, let's, where do we have, which countries have a mark, Japan, just about 25% similar to Germany. On the other hand, we have um, Netherlands, Finland, and Norway with more than 50% of labor employed in graduate jobs. Again, UK is relative, I don't know, if it, under this, yeah, have I put the problem? Yeah, UK is a little, it's on the top side here, um, having close to 40% of labor employed in graduate jobs. And I mentioned that already, I mentioned it already, um, this variation across countries can be attributed to characteristics of the higher education system. So what we did with this survey of adult skills, which con includes um, measures of literacy, so generic skills, measures of um, literacy competences, numeracy competences, and um, learning strategies. So we looked at so does the, skill, the average skill level of graduates correlate with these outcomes? And yes, it does. So the higher the skill level of graduates, the more graduate jobs there are. Does it, the next one is more, is perhaps more um, um, new in the sense that we look at what's the relative quality of graduates? What, how, how, how much more do they know than the next closest group of skilled labor? And also this, this distance correlates with the prevalence of graduate jobs. So the higher the qual relative quality of graduates, the more graduate jobs there are. Um, and then here to indicators that are more, has, have something more to do with the higher education system itself. So dropout rate is negatively correlated and the prevalence of generic tertiary degrees that um, um, people graduate with um, is also negatively correlated to this cross-country variation in graduate job. So overall, there seems to be some indication that the quality and selectivity of tertiary education systems um, is associated with this prevalence of graduate jobs across countries. But we're more interested now, for this talk, and more interested in the change. So what has happened to um, the share of labor employed in graduate jobs? How has that changed in um, the last decade? And again, we have huge differences. From Denmark and Germany where, and Estonia, where hardly anything happened, to Poland, Luxembourg, and Ireland, where there's been a huge <coughs> change in the percentage of labor and graduate jobs. In the UK, sort of, I mean, this is the average annual growth rate, so it's around three percentage points in the UK. And so with this, we have sort of both our seeds. Don't we? we have our supply one, we know how fast supply has changed, and now we have something on the on graduate jobs, so we know how fast the skill demand have changed, the demand for skilled labor. And with this, we can now start to look at how this balance or imbalance <coughs> correlates with changes in graduate labor market outcomes. 
So firstly, let's look at underemployment. As I said, underemployment, um, here we understand underemployment is an underemployed, underemployed graduate, sorry, is a graduate that doesn't work in a high-skilled job. So basically we think that that is associated with lower pay, um, lower job satisfaction, um, less skill utilization. Um, that's our definition of underemployment. And as before, credit underemployment varies considerably across countries. Underemployment is increasing in some but not all countries. And then, and this change in underemployment is associated with the um, change in relative demand. So with this imbalance, I've, this imbalance between changing demand for, high, for skilled labor and changing supply <coughs> of graduates. This is a picture from a graph from a 2016 publication, Francis and me, um, where we looked at, where we looked at um, yeah, using our indicator of graduate jobs, what's the percentage not working in, of graduates not working in graduate jobs. Again, you have big differences. Finland, Poland, Norway, and Germany, where it's a, if it's tiny, it's a small proportion of graduates not in graduate jobs, only compared with Japan, where it's almost 50%. And then we check Republic Canada and other English-speaking countries that are, um, tend to be more on the right on this picture here. And since we used the Adult Skills Survey by the OECD, we had some information on, on graduate competencies. We know their, their literacy and numeracy skills and um, a few other things about about them, and so we were curious to see how much how much the skill differences matter in terms of what we can explain here in this graduate un underemployment, the risk of underemployment, because that's something that comes up a lot in the employability um, discussion. That is actually this difference between someone who's um, underemployed and someone who's employed is just simply the skills, while employed is some, simply the skills. They like those that are underemployed like the skills. Um, so we were curious, how much can the skills gap actually explain? And that's the pink bar. And you see, uh, not that much. Of course, underemployed graduates are less skilled on the average. But the difference isn't that large to explain away all these gaps in underemployment, all this cross-country variation in underemployment um, at all. So what has happened to underemployment in the last decade across Europe? And here that's a bar, a graph, a bar chart that displays um, this change. Um, again, we have a wide variation, whereas in some countries, where in some countries, um, this must be Lithuania and Finland, where it sort of declined, and other countries, Greece particularly, and some smaller Eastern European countries, Slovakia, Slovenia, and then a larger one, Poland, where um, underemployment rose. How is that related to our measure of relative graduate labor supply? So this is the difference between the growth rate of graduate supply and um, 
grad and the change in labor in high skilled jobs. And you see a positive association. So the larger this, the more the supply state outrun the demand state, the larger, the higher on average um, the change in, in um, graduates outside of graduate jobs. It's not, it's not close, so it's a I mean, it's a relatively strong association between these two variables. And that's, that's one outcome. Um, let's, let's, let's look at graduate wages. What has happened to graduate wages? We know all graduates are better paid than non-graduates, but what, how is this difference, how is this difference between graduates and non-graduates changing? And what has happened actually to wages within graduates? Do we have ever seen greater dispersion, rising dispersion over this decade? And, and actually, what's the change in graduate earnings at all? Have they risen on the average? Do, do our graduates now better off than they were 10 years ago? Um, so that's the first page. We look at great, there and there are great costs and differences in this. Then we look at the earnings premium. Um, and again can show that um, the earnings gap is broadly stable but changes but changes with um, the relative demand. So that's the growth rate of graduate average graduate earnings in real terms across countries in this last decade and you see the big dif again big differences but what is most notable is actually that from in the majority of countries for almost all countries graduate wages haven't risen in real terms in the last decade, they have stagnated for this age group, or fallen, uh, such as in Greece, Cyprus, and actually also in the UK, according to our data. Only, only I think it's only Norway and Slovakia where we can say this is this change here is statistically significant and positive. In the other cases, it's you cannot you cannot reject that it actually did not grow at all, um, and I th and I think that's quite. Um, yeah, I mean that's looking at the wage, looking at relative wages as we do with the wage premium is one thing, but looking actually yes, um, not much has happened actually to real wages, um, and that quite traumatic ten years of stagnation. But anyway, let's look at this changing wage differential between tertiary and upper secondary education. How has this um, changed? And again, I've sorted the countries by the change from net from 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 the smallest to the largest, the largest change, positive change here. Um, and although overall most countries are here, sort of in the middle, where not much has happening, there are a few countries where um, things have very. Um, I'll be confused. In this country, in these countries, ah, oh yeah, right. In these countries, um, in this, in these countries, the wage premium has dropped. In these countries, the wage premium has risen. So there's a little bit. France, Netherlands, wage premium of credits has risen compared to upper secondary, so those that leave um, education systems with upper secondary qualification, and in these countries, the wage premium has dropped. In the UK, oh no, this is Italy, sorry. <laughs> the wrong bar. Where's the, where's the UK? Outside here. Not so far off. When it comes to dy the dynamics. And again, I've correlated this, this outcome, the change in the graduate wage premium with our relative graduate labor supply. And you see there's 
it's not a, it's not a close association, but it's there. It's there's a pattern. So in countries where this group, the labor supply outgrew the demand, relative wages tend to drop. That's one thing. It's the difference between graduates and non-graduates. What happened to the wages of graduates? Did there did we see any patterns of dispersion? This is the inequality between graduates um, growing. And to look at this, we um, decided to look at the underemployment wage penalty. Typically, when you're not working as a graduate, when you're not working in a graduate job, you do not make the same money that a graduate in a graduate job does. But this gap changes, and again, look at how this gap changes um, with our measure of relative, relative supply. So generally, unemployment rate penalty rose in some but not all countries. Again, it's a great pattern of great heterogeneity across the countries. There's no general trend towards greater wage inequality. Where excess graduate labor supply rose faster, the underemployment wage penalty widened. So here we have Yeah, here we have um, here we have the change in the unemployment wage penalty um, for this young for the young graduates, 20, 25 to 34 year old, and it hasn't changed much in the UK. This has been relatively stable. Um, has dropped in some countries, so in some countries. Actually